If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Olovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Joel Lilovich and Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. If you're a long-time supporter of the podcast, thank you for joining us. We love having you with us each week. And if you're a new listener, then we thought we might actually just give you a little snapshot about us. Just a little one. I'm Lucy. I'm a lawyer. I'm a mum of one or maybe two by the time you hear this, depending on when my baby decides to make its arrival. And I'm Jo. I'm an employment lawyer with my own practice with clients spread all around Perth and the southwest of WA and a few national as well. And something you might not know is that I run my practice whilst living in a regional town about two hours south of Perth. Living in the regions of Australia and having lots of listeners who are also based regionally, we actually get a number of requests to hear stories from people who live outside a major city. And given my own personal interest, I thought I'd actually follow that up. So today we're really pleased to say that we have Jackie Jarvis joining us today to share her story. Jackie is the CEO of the not-for-profit organisation, the Rural Regional Remote Women's Network. Try saying that quickly. Where she commenced in 2017. The RRR Network seeks to inspire and connect regional women and has a strong focus on encouraging entrepreneurship amongst regional women to help them make a contribution to the economy and the community development in regional Western Australia. Jackie lives in Margaret River, which is in the southwest of Western Australia, otherwise known as a famous wine region. And she originally moved there from Perth in the 90s, met her husband and decided to stay. Together with her husband, she started a vineyard, what a surprise, in the wine region, had three daughters and then decided to pursue a career off-farm in agriculture and banking and business. And eventually it led to her being a policy advisor with the Minister for Agriculture and ultimately led to her being where she is now as CEO of the Triple I Network. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you. So in your role running the Triple R Women's Network, you see and speak with so many women in the regions that you must have a great insight into their lives that many others wouldn't. It's a common refrain for women that are juggling a career and a family that it is at times very challenging and that's probably a big understatement. But what would you say are the key challenges for women trying to have a career and a family in a regional area as opposed to a metro area? There's actually a couple. So the one right off the bat is access to childcare and also distances travelled. So obviously, if you're living in the city, you're most likely to have a childcare centre either close to your home or your work. Whereas I've spoken to women who, are, you know, their closest childcare centre is 50 kilometres away and their work is 30 kilometres in the other direction in some of the small wheat belt areas. So it's actually access to reliable childcare and affordable childcare. And what ends up happening is, depending on where you live, some women are relying on nannies or au pairs, which adds a different cost set up. So I think access to childcare is, is difficult. 
And the other key thing I think in regional areas is actually access to well-paid jobs. It might be a broad generalisation, but I think generally jobs in regional areas are lower paid and I think there's less career opportunities because particularly where I live down in the southwest, you know, there's this sort of attitude that you've moved here for this fabulous lifestyle, but the payoff is that you, you don't get the career progression. So even if you move to a regional area, get a great job, you're unlikely to have the career pathway that, that you might have if you're based in Perth. And when you combine, I mean, you've just mentioned two challenges there, but even those two things, when you combine them, so if you've got a job that perhaps doesn't pay as well as it would if you lived in another location, combined with traveling a hell of a long way for childcare, I mean, you're not only losing time there, but you're losing, you know, that's costing you financially as well. So even just the two challenges that you've already mentioned, I'm thinking, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess the payoff for a lot of families is, you know, they might have access housing that's cheaper or, like I said, there are lifestyle benefits. And those that can, who are lucky enough like me to be able to, you know, work a career from home, there are obviously benefits and people live in regional areas for lots and lots of different reasons. There are certainly challenges for working parents. So tell us about that, your, your personal experience. You've got a husband and three daughters. So how has it worked for you trying to, I mean, your career as CEO of Triple R Network, in my mind, is a successful career and we've already highlighted some of the things that you've done previously. How have you managed to do that? It's exactly as, as the podcast says, it's the juggle. I was really fortunate. So when we started a family, we had actually started our farming business at the same time. So I actually worked from home doing a lot of, what a lot of people do, you know, doing the books. It was a, a business that grew really gradually. So that sort of worked in well. So, you know, whereas I might have been doing a few hours book work a week, it gradually increased as, as the age of my children increased. So my eldest daughter's almost 21. I've got a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old. When they were little, we actually used au pairs a lot. And mm-hmm. that worked really well because I was working from home. And I know not every parent would be comfortable with having a 19-year-old girl from England living in your house looking after your kids if you have to be out of the home and and a long way away. But because I was able to work from home, we actually had au pairs and that worked fantastically for us. And you've got to be comfortable having someone living in your house and, you know, you've got to make sure that you get on with that person. But for us, it was fantastic. And it actually was, people used to say, don't your kids, you know, get concerned that, that they've just got to know someone and they're leaving up to three months. But our girls absolutely loved it. And I think it sort of added to this resilience that they have and it also added to this idea that you know that they're always meeting new people and people from around the world so for us it worked really well in that regard we did do a little bit of you know using childcare as well so our, my daughters definitely went to daycare as well and by the time my third child came along I'd actually started getting some temporary work back in the finance and banking industry so I was coming for sick leave and I actually convinced my parents that they should leave Perth and move closer to me (laughs) so so my youngest daughter so I've got two girls who are 19 months apart and then a four-year gap so by the time I was back doing some banking work my two older girls were at school and I had my parents who were able to to look after my little one and for them that was a joy my mum's passed away now but that gave her so much joy to be able to yeah look after my literally and it was handy because it was a type of work where you might get called in with a day's notice or a week's notice because someone had gone on sick leave so it was fantastic. How has that juggle changed for you as your children have grown up and got older and the childcare becomes less of an issue and other things take its place? Yeah, and the other things, they actually become almost more of a burden, the, the you know, the joke about mum's taxi. <laughs> 
but it actually becomes my uh, we were always big on encouraging our girls to do a lot of sport and so you end up doing a lot of driving and for my girls there was a bit of netball and a bit of this and a bit of that and they ended up all playing hockey and actually the younger one ended up playing hockey quite simply because we sort of said we can't drive you to another sporting location so you have to play hockey. something that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you better do it and enjoy it and be good at it yeah so it was really interesting I actually went back to full-time work when my youngest daughter was six so at that stage then we had three girls at school and I went back to full-time work and it actually took me I think a good two or three years to actually realize that I didn't have to be the keeper of all the knowledge Mm. And what I mean by that is for that first year or two, I was saying, right, well, I, you know, Ashley has dance lessons and Caitlin has to get to netball and Madison has to do this. And I was still coordinating it all, even though my husband, who's a farmer, was the one who was actually doing the drop off. So I was working full time. He was doing the school bus pickup and doing the drop off to dancing or to netball. But I still had it in my head that I actually had to know when all these things were on Mm. and I actually remember making a quite conscious decision and it was probably the start of a new year where enrollments happen and you know if your parents you know that that you've got to do the dance enrollment or the netball or whatever it is at the start of the school year and I actually think it was sort of that third year of working I actually went I don't need to be involved in this I don't need to know when netball practice is because Mm. I'm getting home the clock you're at work anyway yeah but it was interesting some of the pushback I got from other mothers, unfortunately. Mm. So who did you get to do it, Jackie? Did you say to your children, well, if you want to do netball, then you can be responsible for enrolling yourself or was it your husband? Or- yeah, because yeah. he was doing the drop-offs anyway. So he was the one who was like, oh, well, okay, netball, oh, well, enrollments are on Thursday, yeah. okay. Yeah. I literally just stepped back and it wasn't really, we didn't sit there and have a conscious decision because I don't. Mm. I think I just made a really clear choice in my mind that I don't need to know all this. And I, yeah. and I think a lot of women in particular we feel like, oh, God, we just have to organise everyone and we have to know when the birthday parties are on and we have to know when this is on. And if you actually let go a bit, it actually doesn't harm anyone. That's been a lesson for me too. Are you going to say the same, Jane? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this concept, effectively, you're describing that mental load of doing all the things. And, you know, we had a great discussion with my sister actually on an episode 18, maybe, all around mental load. And it's a huge thing. And it's definitely something that I'm conscious of, but haven't managed to totally get rid of yet. Yeah, and I think as your children get older, obviously it gets easier as well because they take a bit of responsibility. But it's also that bit of, you know, like if they miss netball practice, it's not the end of the world. But it was interesting that I definitely noticed a bit of people would say things, like other mums would say things like, you know, there was almost this sort of, oh, my God, isn't your husband wonderful because he Mm -hmm. does this stuff? And you go, well, actually, I did it for the first two. Wasn't I wonderful when I did it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I did it for the first two. And now that all three are at school, he's doing it. And I've got the off-farm income this time around. Um, It was really interesting, this idea that he belongs on some sort of pedestal because he's doing parenting. And he didn't get it either. (laughs) And there was a few sort of sly comments as well around, oh, well, you know. One mother actually said to me something along the lines that it must be really hard for your kids because sometimes you're in charge and sometimes Matt's in charge. And I said, well, no, because we're both parents. (laughs) It's interesting. I think that's a key challenge that we all face. Any woman who's trying to have a career and a family is just societal expectations. And those those things have been in place for such a long time that to think that we're going to overturn them in a couple of generations is obviously naive, but it's just frustrating, isn't it? That it seems 
to take so many people so long to just sort of say, hey, that's okay, or it might not be the way that I do things, but it's okay for other people to do that. Yeah, and look, even I'll give you an example, which was always a big bugbear of mine, and it still goes on. My daughters went to a Catholic high school in Busselton, that every, each of them, when they were in either year seven or year eight, they would have a morning tea for Mother's Day and a breakfast for Father's Day. Yeah. And the idea was that the mums could all go to morning tea at 10 a.m., but the dads, they would have a barbecue <laughs> breakfast at 7 a.m. And for the first two children, I would sort of would turn up with all these other harried mothers who had work uniforms on and would come from work meetings at 10 o'clock and I was all sort of going, oh, yes, all right, give us our cupcake and our cup of tea. We've all got to get back to the, our work. Yeah. But this idea that for the dads, you know, well, no, no, we'll have a breakfast because obviously the dads all need to get to work. Mm. Yeah. What was interesting is I actually, so my youngest daughter's year nine now, and I actually only said to her about six months ago, oh, did, have they stopped doing those morning teas? And she said, oh, no, I just didn't bother inviting you. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually felt really bad. But, oh, my God, was, is that all right? And she's like going, oh, mum, come on, they're a bit of a pain, aren't they? And I said, well, what did you do? She said, I just, me as mum was there, I just gave her a cup of tea. <laughs> well, you know what, Jackie, that still happens. I'm still dealing with that. And it's only for the benefit of flexible working that I can still attend those things and not feel like I'm putting my child in a position of missing out. And it's okay if you've got flexible working or you're in a senior enough position. Yes. But if you're working in a shop or you're in a junior role and you, you know, particularly if you're a woman who's just gone back to the workforce and you have to say to your child, I'm sorry, I can't come to the school morning tea because... I can't afford the time off work. Like it's just, it's just not a good look. And the fact that they do the, the dad's breakfast just really irked me. <laughs> so with the rise of all of these women working and having careers and God forbid, choosing to earn our own money, how is that impacting in regional areas? Is it positive? Is it negative? You know, women are choosing to work outside the home, outside farms, as was traditional. How is that changing the culture? I mean, I actually think there's been a long, long tradition of particularly women on farms earning an off-farm income. Yeah. And in many situations, particularly in times of drought or other major issues, you know, where there's been a bad season, that off-farm income is what keeps the family going. And I think, I reckon that's probably been going on for generations, but it probably has not been seen as a career. And it's often been, you know, that my wife's a teacher or the local nurse or she, you know, does administration in the local school. But I think that's always been a really, really important factor in agriculture. But again, it's had access to really good careers and particularly across, say, the wheat belt. If you're living in a town of 300 people and you want to work off farm, it's incredibly hard to find a job that will, you know, match your skill set. And the younger women I meet, they're all tertiary qualified. You know, I meet these amazing 30-somethings who have a young family and you're almost better off if you've got something you can do remotely, like if you're a graphic designer or, you know, you have some sort of skill that you can work online. Whereas if you actually need to go into a workplace, it's incredibly hard to find those types of jobs. What sorts of initiatives have you seen start to be put in place to help with this problem with the with the finding of well-paid jobs? So look, I actually, and this is almost ancient history now, in 2005, which is what we, 13 years ago now, I sat on the board of an organisation called Foundation for Australian Agricultural Women and we actually had a PhD student do a research report on what we called teleworking at the time. And you remember 2005, you know, the internet was still a bit of a clunky thing. I love that expression, teleworking. 
teleworking. But what we actually knew then that there was all these well-qualified women who, you know, were, were living in regional areas. And actually the funding for the study actually came out of a, a federal government drought fund. And it was this recognition that, that in times of, in challenging times, if you've got a secondary income, it obviously makes a huge difference. So when we did this research, we spoke to lots of people, looked at people who were, were having these teleworking careers. And the two biggest things that I remember from the research was one, that women who work remotely actually work a lot harder and get a lot more done. Yes. And that was across Australia, across job roles. And there was two reasons for that. One is they didn't get distracted by you know, that water cooler chat. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they sat down at their computer and they were straight into work. They didn't have the chat in the lunchroom and then the chat about what was on TV last night. So one was they were less distractions. The other second main reason is that women who worked remotely had it in their heads that everyone else thought that they were slacking off. So they actually worked <laughs> a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, and they, they were actually working a lot more hours than they were logging because they were actually working a lot harder. So... The benefit for employers was that you were going to get these amazing women who were going to do all this, who were going to be so much more efficient because they could, they were working harder, longer hours, they weren't getting the distractions. The biggest barrier to successful teleworking at the time, back in 2005, was who the line manager was. And if the line manager was not supportive and didn't make it work, then it wouldn't work. And I mean, that was a really important bit of research, but unfortunately, nothing more happened with it. And what what our ambition had been is that, you know, you imagine if you look at a state government department and you think of all the jobs that could be done remotely yeah. you know, and if they were available. So you think of all the people doing, you know, administration jobs, back office jobs, accounts jobs. Um, there are so many job roles within federal government, state government, local government that could quite easily be outsourced. And that's been our ambition with the Triple R Network is to create job roles that it doesn't matter where you live. That's fantastic. And in your role as CEO of the network, you're actually managing a remote team yourself. I know that you're in Margaret River and that you have at least two other team members who are at a great distance from you. So as an employer, how are you managing that remote distance? You know what, it comes down to trust and it comes down to understanding that to me it doesn't matter when the work's done as long as it's done. So, you know, my my remotest staff member is 600 kilometres away from me. We would see each other face-to-face maybe once every three months. Mm. We would speak on the phone probably only once a week. It's, it's more often than not it's a text message um, or an email. I guess it's about having objectives that are outcomes-focused. Yes, you're talking Lucy's language. and it's the simple things as I need a social media plan I have a board meeting I need a social media plan to present to the board by this date can you send it to me by this date so I can have a look at it I want this many posts on social media this done I need a membership list up to date yeah it really comes down to absolutely trust and say and also that just give me a call if you're not sure what that means give me a call um, and also in addition to staff I also have a lot of professional people that and mainly women that work with me so we have a graphic designer who pulls together a magazine for us we have a copy editor who pulls who does all the editorial for the magazine the copy editor I've never actually met mm. um, so we met she sent me her CV we chatted on the phone we do everything by email and it works fantastically. So I think it's that, I, that getting rid of that idea that you need to be in the same room, and, but it really comes down to trust. And that was, is, I mean, I'm glad I was involved in that research report 13 years ago because when, you know, to hear that the biggest barrier is the line manager, it really makes you realise that it's all about actually 
actually making sure there's no barriers for those people doing that job. And also, you know, having the mechanisms when you can go, actually, that wasn't quite right. Can we do it this way? It's interesting, though, that that report was 13 years ago, because I think that probably still is one of the biggest barriers, the line manager. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. How much has changed in that time? I don't know. So you've given us some great examples of how remote working or managing a remote workforce can work well. But what about some of the challenges? And the one that comes up most often, and you touched on this when you said before about not wasting time around the water cooler chat. But in some cases, that can actually be a really good thing because it's those kind of informal chats around the workplace that help to build the team culture. Perhaps that's where sometimes good ideas stem from the coffee machine. What do you do to deal with that? How do you bring your team together? How do you get the collegiate environment going when people don't see each other or even necessarily speak to each other very often? Yeah, and look, that is absolutely one of the challenges. I mean, we would get together in Perth. So when we have a board meeting, we'd try and get together. And also, we just developed a new website. And so I've organised that we would get together and do the training together. You know, we had the opportunity to do it via video conferencing. And I said, no, no, we'll get together in Perth and we'll, we'll have a meeting room and we'll sit down. So yes, it can be a challenge. But I think, I mean, I think as well, we're so used to doing everything. You know, I keep in contact with friends I haven't seen for 12 months via Facebook and remotely. And I think we're probably much better at it than we used to be. And even just little things, you know, like sending a, something, you know, we might have had a conversation about something and I might shoot off a text message at 10 o'clock at night because I've seen something funny online that relates. So <laughs> there's those sort of little things where I think you can keep in contact and it's not the same. But for us, for our organisation, if I had to get everyone in a room working every day, it would actually add to our cost. We're a not-for-profit. I would actually have to rent an office. I would have people driving to an office. My pool of available workers would be diminished because I could only select from people who live within 50 kilometres of where that office is. So I think the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. As a person who is working remotely, reporting to a board who are all placed in various different locations as well, you've obviously got the um, obligation to meet their expectations of you. And I know working sometimes from home, sometimes from an office and sometimes remotely myself, that it can be really difficult to manage the boundaries between when I'm working and when I'm not. Do you have similar issues sometimes and how do you manage that? I do, but I actually use that as a positive. So I will more often than not be working at my desk at six o'clock in the morning because that works for me. I wake up early. I prefer to get it done. But then what that means for me, and look, sometimes i would do from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. Yeah. But then what that also means for me is that then when on those days where I've gone to Perth for a meeting and I go, oh, well, I'm actually going to knock off at three o'clock and, you know, go catch up with my daughter who lives in Perth, it gives me that flex time. So I sort of, I guess, have my own version of, of flexi time, which I think as well as a working parent works really well because then you can duck off if you do need to go to the school morning tea, you have that ability. So I think And I've worked from home on and off for a number of years. And, you know, I've heard these theories about, you know, you're meant to get up and get dressed and dress as if you're going to work. Well, I don't do that. You know, I I sit here in my pyjamas half the time and that works really well for me. With regard to the board, I try and basically have a regular phone chat with our chair. I did actually have to um, sit down with the board and I guess set some ground rules because I might send an email out 
and then get eight different replies where it was sort of this is for your information. And so that can be a bit tricky as well because you have a volunteer board who are working at different times as well. But that's just been about communication, saying, look, when I send that that information or that it's going to be at a board meeting, we can discuss it then as opposed to one of the issues with a board is that you can end up almost doing edits by committee. So if you sort of say I'm, I'm sending this out, you know, what's your view? And you get eight different opinions. And we've done things like, you know, set up a smaller executive team so that where it's things to do with HR matters, I can deal with four people rather than eight people. So, yeah. What do you think the future looks like for women who have families and careers and they're living in regional areas? I meet so many women who are self-employed now and running businesses from home. And I think that connectivity is fantastic. I mean, one of the things I do notice, though, is women who are self-employed working regularly tend to charge a lot less and to a point where I've actually had to tell some people you're not charging enough. I don't know if it's because that's what they think they're valued at or if it's because they're not working amongst other professionals who can say, actually, you know, you should be charging this or this. So I think the opportunities are there, but I think we almost need a bit more sort of professional networks where you can actually swap stories about what the correct rate of pay is, what. And I'll give you an example. So my administration officer, who, who, um, who's now doing my membership stuff, who I've just put on a, a wage, she was originally quoting me an hourly rate that was around $10 an hour less than what the casual award rate was for the job she was doing. Wow. Um, and because in her head, she just went, I don't know, what should I charge? You know, $30 an hour seems pretty good because the guys on the farm get 25 an hour, but she's tertiary qualified. She's doing, you know, a high level of work. So I think that's probably one of the challenges. And it's really hard if you're trying to set up a business, obviously, you know, it's that balance between getting customers and paying what you're worth. But this is where I would love it if government got involved because government provides well-paid jobs. So if you were a level five accounts clerk in Perth, why couldn't you be a level five accounts clerk working from wherever? Mm -hmm. It's so true about the increase of self-employed women and I think it's wonderful that women feel that they can do that and it's definitely worked for me becoming self-employed but I'm also really concerned for a lot of women out there who are choosing a self-employed path because they believe that it's giving them flexibility or that they're going to have a a lifestyle that they really want to have by being self-employed whereas often as you say, they don't charge enough or they end up creating other issues around the amount of work that they have to do for the same amount of pay in order to have this flexibility that they are chasing. So to have organisations like government or other organisations who are willing to take on flexible workers, I would love to see that happen in the future. And look, the other thing, I mentioned that I use a lot of contractors. So I might use, um, so we publish a magazine. So if someone's living in a particular town, I might try and get a photographer in that particular town. And generally, I, I'd source women because we're a women's network. So I might get photographers. We hold an awards event. You know, I'll use a florist. All these sort of services where I might just be using someone as a one-off. What I'm really quite surprised about is the number the sheer volume of these contractors that I use who don't charge GSD because they're not earning enough. And that's fine when you're first setting up a business. But if you're not registered for GST, that means you're turning over less than 75000 I think it is, a year. And I would sort of say to some women, you know, you want this flexibility, but, but the amount of time you're putting in your business, you know, could you build a career 
somewhere else because because these are businesses that have been around for a while and then it's still not um, haven't reached that threshold of income and potential and I do wonder if people are actually costing their hours out and that's something I say to women all the time is is what have you costed yourself at and quite often they haven't so they're, they're offering a service but they haven't actually costed their own time into it. I know you work primarily with women Jackie but do you see men having the same issues or do you think it's a typical female trait to undervalue or undersell? I do, as a rule, think that, that salaries for in regional areas are lower for men as well. I think it's pretty much across the board. And, and look, I don't, I haven't been to every region, and you know, I don't have any science behind this other than, and perhaps because I live in the southwest, I think you, you almost pay that, you know, oh, well, you want to live here, so, <laughs> you know, we'll yeah. pay you whatever we want. So I think that is an issue as well. I mean, I think generally male-dominated professions paying more and I actually had this conversation with my husband last night about what you would pay a plumber versus what you would pay a hairdresser yeah for the service they're offering and they've both done you know three or four year apprenticeships and have a huge amount of time and you know if you're a hairdresser you're dealing with dangerous chemicals and you know in a lot of ways you can cause a lot of damage leaching someone's hair and then probably more than than fixing a pipe yeah and it's the same conversation that comes up often with childcare workers isn't it that childcare workers and men in who have a similar qualification level would get paid more yeah, so, I mean, it's it's a societal issue, I guess. But if you're a woman and you're self-employed, I'd really look at some benchmarking. What are the people charging? Don't discount your rate because of where you are. And look, if you need to travel further to get to a job and you want to discount that because you've chosen to live somewhere more remote, then, then so be it. But don't discount your hourly rate or what you do at home or don't undervalue that time that you spend doing the books that isn't necessarily in your mind related to your main occupation Mm, that's such good advice for business owners we have a couple of standard questions that we like to ask guests before we finish our interview okay (laughs) so to start with what words do you live by do you have a mantra probably not to regret no no regrets and that's easy that's a sort of an off-the-cuff easy thing but if you've made a mistake or you've left a job that you thought "Mm, maybe I shouldn't have you know regret is just a it's a wasted emotion yeah. And if you have one piece of advice to leave for women who are managing the juggernaut and let's say women in regional areas, let's make it specific, what would the key one key piece of advice be? My key one that I always give to women is you don't need to be the keeper of the knowledge. You don't need to know all of the family's movements at every time. You just need to let go and let go also applies to it doesn't matter if the washing's not folded. That's <laughs> <laughs> You can have it all, just not all at the same time. I'm glad to hear that last bit because I think I've got about two laundry baskets that need folding at the moment. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so thanks. We'll just ignore that and we'll let it go. Exactly. Good. Yeah, exactly. It's my evening back. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thanks, ladies. It's been fantastic. What an awesome conversation. If you would like to know more about Jackie and the Triple R Network, you can find them at www.triplernetwork.com.au and we have a number of other links for Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts which you can find in our show notes. Thanks so much for listening. That's all from us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating and let us know what you think. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, perhaps you live in a regional area and can share your experiences of the juggle of work and family, then come and join us in our Facebook group, which is the Juggle Community in the group section on Facebook.
And you will find links to that and all our other social media on our website, thejuggle.com.au. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.